The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Acts 28, 23-31 After a, arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening, but never understanding. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understanding with their heart, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house. And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Kelly. Well, it's been a strange few weeks, hasn't it? Between widespread sickness and both actual winter weather and a predicted winter weather, we haven't had a normal Sunday yet this month. So our plan for this morning was to send out the families that are planning Risen Church in Concord, North Carolina. But due to the weather, two of the three families couldn't be here. And so instead of hearing from Ian on why they're planning to go out with the gospel, you get stuck with me this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to tackle the same topic from the same book of the Bible, but from a different part of the book. And we will, do, we will send them out, and you'll hear from Ian on a, on a different Sunday. So when I was a kid, sometimes my mom forced me and my brothers to go with her to the torture chamber known as Joanne Fabric. <laughs> like, if there is a worse store to drag four boys to, I'm not sure what it is. So she would take us there. It gets worse. She would take us there to pick out fabric for the homemade clothes she was going to make us. That's, that's what I just said. And that wasn't the worst part, because before we left the store, she would take us over to the section with the clothing patterns. We'd sit there for hours, at least it felt that way, while she slowly and methodically looked at every possible pattern ever devised for homemade Bermuda shorts. I almost put a picture for you, but I decided not. Maybe another Sunday. She would buy a pattern because it was a way to successfully make the clothes, right? Patterns are helpful, whether they're for homemade Bermuda shorts or for football players trying to get open for a pass. A pattern aids us in accomplishing what we set out to do. It's a tried and true method for success. So a few weeks ago, when we were kicking off the series, we looked at the mission God had given us. We looked at the first chapter of Acts, that we are to be his witnesses throughout the world. Well, here in the final chapter of Acts, we find a pattern to help us complete that mission successfully. What does that look like? So in the final verses here of Acts, we find this four-part pattern that's been repeated over and over in Acts. Then it's been repeated over and over in the 1900 years since the book of Acts was written. 
and it will continue over and over until Jesus returns. Here's the four-part pattern. There's a new place, a new people, but the same message and the same mission. So the first part is a new place. Look at verse 16. When we entered Rome, so this is Paul and his companions writing this, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. The Apostle Paul has finally made it to Rome. So after years of imprisonment and a harrowing four-month journey along the Mediterranean Sea, he makes it safely to Rome where he will be held under house arrest until his appearance before Caesar. What started in Jerusalem 30 years earlier has now spread to the capital of the known world. But listen, we as Bible readers, knew this would happen. Why? Because Jesus said it would. Maybe we didn't think it would happen this fast, but we knew it would happen because what we looked at a few weeks ago was the command Jesus gave to his disciples in Acts 1. He famously said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were, in all Judea and Samaria, so the region surrounding it. And then Jesus says, and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Well, the gospel here hasn't yet made it to the end of the earth, but it has made it to the center of the world. Now, one of the main lessons from the book of Acts is that the gospel will continue to move forward into new places. More than 75 different places are named in the book of Acts. We learn of 54 different places by name that Paul visited on his three missionary journeys. The gospel is constantly going into new places. This not only happened in the first 30 years of the church, but it's continued throughout church history. Christians have understood that it is the call of our Lord upon our lives to take the gospel to new places. A couple years ago, I was introduced to a missions organization called OM International that takes the gospel to hundreds of places around the globe. Well, the founder of OM, a man named Wesley Duell, wrote about his mother's impact on him and how her impact led to the founding of this global missions enterprise. I want you to hear what he wrote. He said, My mother for years carried a hunger for the people of China and India. For many years, practically every day as she prayed during family prayer for these two nations, she would break down and weep before she finished praying. Her love was deep and constant, and she will be rewarded eternally for her years of love burden for those lands. Now, brothers and sisters, let's God... Let's ask God to burden our hearts for places where the gospel is not known and heard. Let's ask God that our prayer times would be filled with weeping for places where the gospel is not known. Like we understand that this is his call to us as his disciples, right? We go to the ends of the earth. We go to all places where Jesus is needed, which are all places. Kids, teenagers, college students, ask God right now, before you set out on a career, potentially, to, to allow you the privilege of taking the gospel to new places. Ask God to help you follow in the footsteps of the Kitchens and the Gates and the Duncans and soon the Vogels and Wagners and Nelsons, all who have moved to new places for this purpose so they can witness about Jesus in those places. Parents, instead of the beach this summer, take one of your kids to Moldova. And see if God uses that to open their eyes and their hearts to the need for the gospel to go forward in different lands. I want you to think about this for a moment. William Carey, David Livingston, John Patton, Adnarm Judson, David Brainerd, Eric Liddell, Jim Elliott, these well-known missionaries from the past 
that have touched so many places and people with the gospel, listen, they were all once little kids. Many of them sat in churches, heard the gospel, and in hearing the gospel had their hearts stirred for new places. And so they boarded boats and small planes to take the gospel to distant lands because there were parents and friends and faithful church members who prayed for them and encouraged them. So let's pray, friends, for the privilege of sending more of our people off to new places with the good news of the King who reigns over all the earth. So the first part of the pattern is a new place. Here they are again as the book of Acts ends in a new place. And here's the second part, new people. So when Paul arrives in Rome, he sends a message in verse 17 to the local Jewish leaders. He requests an audience with them. They come and Paul introduces himself and asks for an opportunity to explain what has happened that brought him to Rome. And so they set up an appointment and they, it says in verse 23, they arrange a day with him so they can come back in greater numbers to listen to what he says. And though they haven't heard about Paul, they have heard about Christianity. And listen, look at what they say in verse 22. We want to hear what your views are since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. So this sort of sect of Judaism, they thought, this sort of deviation almost of Judaism, they said, we've here, everyone's against it, so we're interested to learn more. Now, this is probably not the most receptive audience when they say, this is why we want to hear more, because we know everyone's against it. And what happens is when Paul shares, verse 24, it says, some believe, but others do not believe. When he finishes meeting with them in verse 28, Paul says, that he is going to focus now on sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. And so he spends the next few years in Rome under house arrest, meeting all who came to him. Paul's life is a series of encounters with new people. And listen to this, he sees those encounters as opportunities to share the gospel. Do you realize the same is true of your life? Your life is a series of encounters with new people. Whether you're an introvert or extrovert, You're constantly around new people. At work, in your neighborhood, at the grocery store, at church. Your life is a series of intersections with people you don't know. What do you do at those intersections? I think there's a temptation to punch the gas and get away from new people as quick as humanly possible. Why not linger? And what's so important What do you have to do that's so important you can't give that person a few moments of your time? Like, why are we in such a hurry all the time? I want you to think about something. This, I think, is a little bit mind-blowing, and I hope it's a little paradigm-shattering for you, and I hope maybe you'll be convicted about this, as I am. Paul spent two years in prison in Caesarea, And then when he went to make the journey from Caesarea to Rome, which would normally take four weeks, it it took, or five weeks, it took four months. So two years in prison, then a five-month journey that should have only taken four weeks, and then two more years under arrest in Rome. Was God wasting Paul's time? I mean, it's Paul, the Apostle Paul, like the greatest Christian ever, the most effective missionary evangelist. What a waste of time right? Four years in prison, five months to make, four months to make a five-week journey? Or was God giving Paul opportunities to impact new people with the gospel? So just think about Paul's pace of life 
for the final four and a half years that are recorded in the book of Acts. Four years under arrest and the rest on a journey that took three times as long as normal. From any sort of human perspective, that was an absolute waste of time. In fact, Paul will be executed by Nero within the next five years. So more than half of Paul's final decade of ministry is spent in jail. So I think there's a life-changing lesson for all of us right here. If we want to impact people for Jesus Christ, we must slow down. The pace at which many of us live is a hindrance to the gospel. I want to say that a second time. The pace at which many of us live is a hindrance to the gospel. I mean, you realize the most significant thing hindering you from the gospel may not be a particular sin you struggle with, but the pace at which you live. So if we want to impact people from Jesus Christ, we must slow down. Like in general, when is fast better than slow? There are times. But I'll be honest, one of my favorite things to eat is beef brisket, and I want it cooked slow. Beef brisket cooked fast is not good beef brisket. Slow and low and slow. A few summers ago, a group of us went to New York City where we served with at Brooklyn Baptist Church. While we were there one day, we went down. It was a group of men and sons, and so we went to the Beretta store in Manhattan. I see Chris back there. He's smiling. It was a cool place. There we saw some shotguns, listen, that were selling for six figures. And then they were like, do you want to hold it? And you're like, I'm not sure if I want to hold it or not. Am I liable if something happens? Well, as we're looking at these these six-figured shotguns, the the salesman there, he he didn't know his audience. We're not buying these things. But he's selling. He's trying to sell them. And he's describing how every part of it is basically handmade. There's these engravings all along that are hand-done. The stock is unfinished, and they actually carve it to fit your exact, your shoulder and your width. And all of it sort of is it's handmade, which is why they're so valuable. Things that matter, things of value, usually take time. Helping people see the glory and wonder of Jesus and his grace requires us to slow down and take time. Like, we can't do drive-by evangelism. We need to stop and linger at the intersections of life. We need to give time and care to the people God brings in our path. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be real and honest for a second. Are you too busy to see God work? Are you blowing through all of the intersections, failing to pause and see what's coming? You know, at some point, because God loves you, he's going to slow you down. Right? As you go through another intersection of life without looking, he may have a vehicle waiting to meet you. Not out of spite or anger, but of love. And here's what often happens when this happens. Right? You've probably seen it before. Something happens that slows someone's life down, and they start to see God work in new ways, and they say this, I am thankful God did that. I just wish I'd seen it before. I wish I hadn't missed all of those opportunities. If you're too busy to engage new people, you are too busy. Okay, if you're too busy to engage new people, you are too busy. See, if God thought slowing down was important for the Apostle Paul, I think it's fair to say it's important for us. Like to slow down and engage people. 
We need to be especially diligent to give our time and attention to those who are overlooked and marginalized. Like Paul here doesn't just engage the Jews. What does he say? He says that he welcomes Gentiles, all who come to him. All who come to him, he welcomes into his life. You know, we know that one of those Gentiles was actually a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon, the master of Onesimus, and he tells him how they met as prisoners, how Paul had the opportunity there while he was under arrest to talk with Onesimus and introduce him to Jesus, and Onesimus became a Christian. You know, as a Christian, you never reach a dead end on life's journey. Every twist and turn brings you to new intersections where you can impact new people with the gospel. Are your eyes open to the people around you? You know, every time we send out a church plant, it's one of our great joys as a church, right? To send out church plants. We hope to keep doing this for as long as God gives us opportunity to meet. But every time we do it, I'm reminded of how important it is to live intentionally and how honestly it's easy the longer you're in a place to not be intentional. So I'm thinking about the kitchens who are just looking for a home in Concord. So the reason Ian's not here today is they found that home. And so he's three hours away. And so what, they ask us to pray. And you remember how they talked about the homes they were looking for? What, what was the key thing on their mind? It wasn't just, oh, is it really nice? Or how has it worked for our family? Though they wanted a nice place that worked for their family, certainly. But it was where is it in location, in, in sort of in location where God has us? Like, it was people and the gospel and reaching people and meeting new people and trying to engage people with the gospel. This was the, the sort of foremost concern as they looked for a new home. They were intentional about intersecting their lives with the lives of new people. So as people move to the area, as people cross their paths, they will meet the kitchens who will love them and who will invest in them, who will welcome them, who will share with them. I mean, how are you intersecting new people? Will you slow down when you reach those intersections? Will you take time? So Paul's in a new place with new people, but look at he's sharing the same message. Look at verse 23. It says, After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So I want you to notice two things about the message Paul proclaims here. They're true of the disciples' message throughout Acts. First, it's centered on Jesus, and then it's rooted in Scripture. So the message is centered on Jesus. It says Paul here is telling them about the kingdom of God, trying to convince them or persuade them about Jesus. Now, this Jewish audience would have understood certain truths about God's kingdom. They would agree with Paul when Paul says that God is the creator, and therefore he is the rightful ruler of all creation. When Paul said that, they would have been like, yeah, we agree. They would agree with Paul that mankind has rebelled against God and therefore stands guilty before him. They would agree that God made a way through sacrifices in the temple for sinners to be forgiven. They would even agree that God would send his Messiah into the world to restore his people, to deliver his people, to establish his kingdom. But then all of a sudden, Paul, after that agreement, when he says this, the Messiah has come. He's been executed by the Romans. He's risen from the dead. And he is now forming a brand new people, which includes Jew and Gentile together. All of a sudden, they would have been like, ooh, maybe you went too far. Because they expected something. We're going to see this in the Gospel of Mark starting next week. But they expected a political kingdom. 
a king that was going to deliver them from what they thought was their biggest issue, which was Roman occupation. And Paul here is going to teach them that the kingdom of Jesus Christ supersedes all political and national boundaries. So think, I think about this. I think it's wonderful how Paul, who is imprisoned in the capital city of Caesar's kingdom, teaches about the kingdom of God. Like he looks around and he says, like, you think this is a powerful kingdom? Wait till you hear about Jesus. See, Paul understands that Caesar's kingdom, like all human kingdoms, will eventually fall. But the kingdom of God will grow and grow until the day when the king returns and his people are ushered into his final everlasting kingdom. And so Paul's desire here is to persuade. Look at him, it says verse 23, he's trying to persuade them that Jesus Christ is the king. That our response to his kingly rule is to repent of our rebellion and trust his promise of pardon. That if we kneel and pledge our allegiance to Jesus as Lord. Right? So what would Caesar have wanted? He would have wanted them to bow their knee to him and say, Caesar is Lord. But he says, no, no, we pledge Jesus as Lord. He says, when we do that, we're given citizenship papers in his everlasting kingdom and it can never be revoked Right, this is his message, and Jesus wants people to understand it, that political leaders cannot bring the change we need, only Jesus can. Like brothers and sisters, this is the same message we share today, that there is one ruler who can trust, who can be trusted with your life, one and only one. That this king, and here's what we say, he, we say to others, he has rescued me from my sin, that I am a sinner, that I am broken, that I am worse and more depraved than I look on the outside. And that he daily delivers me from the darkness that threatens to overwhelm me. This is the message we share with the hope of, as Paul says, persuading people to listen and believe. See, Paul doesn't deliver these truths about Jesus in a dry theological lecture. Like he didn't have them sit down, take out their notebooks, and, and just listen as he delivered the lecture. It says, verse 24, he is trying to persuade them. He's pressing them to make a decision. That there's no neutral option. Like you can't be Switzerland when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is your king or you are his enemy. Now parents, let me just say something to you for a moment. Like we understand the influence we have on our children. And so right, we wisely shouldn't try to force or manipulate our children into making a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That has happened too often throughout really the centuries. And what happens is, is that it's, it's tossed aside by children as they grow up. Like that wasn't real. They were forced into this decision. So on one hand, we're very cautious and careful about how we talk with our kids about the gospel. But listen, we are trying to persuade them of the reality that Jesus is king. Right? We don't manipulate, but we do try to convince and persuade some of you have been working hard to convince your child to be an NC State fan since the moment they drew breath. And it's, that is a hard challenge, isn't it? Like, why would you not work just as hard to convince them Jesus is king over all and to bow in allegiance to him? So this message we share out there and within our homes, everywhere we go is centered on Jesus, but it's also rooted in Scripture. So one of the chief concerns of Luke as he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts 
is to show that all Scripture points to the coming of Jesus and culminates in his death, resurrection, and return. So he ended his account of Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospels by, by sharing Jesus' example of interpreting the Scripture. So he says this in Luke 24, the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. He says, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Now here's what he does as he ends the, as he ends his, the book of Acts. He shows them how Paul is doing the exact same thing. That the Apostle Paul, a disciple and follower of Jesus, is interpreting the Scriptures just like Jesus did by showing from the law of Moses and, and, the, and the prophets, that's what it says in verse 23, that all of the Scriptures pointing to Jesus. One of my favorite little books is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you have kids, you should buy it and read it to them regularly. If you don't have kids, you should buy it and just read it yourself regularly. But in it, Sally Lloyd-Jones says this about the Bible. She says the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, has thrown everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's opening up the Scriptures, and he's showing them how the missing piece in the puzzle is Jesus. And so we learn from this that we should read the Bible to see and to know and to love and to listen and to adore Jesus. Everything in it tells the story of Jesus. So as you read the Bible, don't look for rules, morals, or advice. Open the Bible to hear the voice of your king and discern his will for you. The Bible is God's word to us about his son. Notice that even when Paul quotes Isaiah, so he's quoting the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament in verse 25, he attributes the the words not just to Isaiah but to the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. Here's what he's saying. What you hold in your hands is the very word of the living God. And he speaks to his people through his word. It is his word that has the power to bring life. Just as his word in the first moments of creation, he spoke and there was life. Now he speaks through his word and he brings dead people to life. And through his word, he accomplishes every purpose he intends. In this particular quote in verses 26 and verse 27, Isaiah tells how the nation of Israel is going to reject God's voice. So even though God was speaking to them through the prophets, they rejected the voice of God and refused to come to God's Son. But that God would use that rejection to bring people from all other nations into his family. Now, Imagine what the response was like from these Jewish leaders when Paul quotes Isaiah and says, and you are rejecting Jesus just as Isaiah prophesied. Well, some of them are convicted by this, and it says they believe and want to hear more and want to learn and want to follow Jesus, but some of them reject him. They don't like what he said. And so, friends, like we just need to be prepared for this, that if we are 
honestly sharing the truth about Jesus, if our message comes from the Bible, then there will be some who don't like it. That the Bible, the word and will of the king, confronts the cherished sins of those living in rebellion to him. So when that happens, some will get angry, some will lash out. So here we are, we know the Bible is true, and we know that the cost of rejecting Jesus as king is severe. And so out of love, we must share it with others, even if we know it's going to challenge something precious to them. You see, this is the king, and he has spoken. And we have no right to alter what the king says just to make someone, make someone feel better. Like, that is unloving. If the king has spoken, and the king is the one who decides what is true and right and not us, then our only responsibility is to lovingly share it. And we must not avoid this. Imagine a doctor who refuses to share the news of a bad diagnosis. Or an engineer who won't admit the building is unsafe. Or a software developer who won't report a bug. Or an inspector ignoring the cracks in the bridge. Turning a blind eye to something that will destroy someone else is never heroic. So God has given us a message. and Here it is. Just as he promised the prophets, he sent his son as king. And his son is establishing a never-ending kingdom. And all who repent of their sin, their rebellion against him, and pledge allegiance to him as king and lord will join him in his kingdom forever. So as Paul's in a new place with new people, he's giving the same message. And that's because, forth, he has the same mission. The mission is to share the gospel of Jesus The book of Acts is a missionary book because Christians are missionary people. We are not wanderers. We are soldiers. Having received orders, we live engaged in the mission given to us by our king. You know, it's hard for me to imagine someone observing the church in Acts. Okay, So just someone sort of steps back, not even reading about the Bible, just being there. And observing the church in Acts and being uncertain of what the church is called to do. I feel like if you were there and you were observing the church in Acts, you were, they wouldn't have to say a word, but you'd be like, I get what you're doing. It was so obvious in how they lived. They had to share the good news of Jesus sacrificially, warmly, and confidently. We see this in Paul's example. Look at verse 30. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul's ministry has been an example of sacrifice. So even here it says he's living at his own expense. That sort of stinks, right? You're under house arrest and you have to pay for it. He's chained, we believe, to a soldier, at least for parts of the time here. But here's here's the opportunity God's giving him. Sacrifice demonstrates what we value, right? We sacrifice for something if we think it's worth it. And so that's why a bride who thinks it's worth it to fit in a certain dress sacrifices eating for months at a time. Or some people are like, I I, I want nothing more than to get out of debt. And so they live on rice and beans for months and months and months all to pay that down because it's worth it to them. 
And so often Jesus gives his followers the opportunity to sacrifice so that others will see the value of the gospel. So so think about this. If the gospel was only ever proclaimed by people who had an easy life, then people would say like, oh, I'll do that too if that means my life is like that. Like, I'll believe that if it means life is easy and simple. I'll believe that if it makes me healthy and wealthy and wise. Right? But when someone believes the gospel and tells others, even though it requires sacrifice on their part, here's what happens. It demonstrates the value of the gospel. Sacrifice validates the gospel message to those who are listening. When a man is tied to the stake and he sings while they light the fire... Those watching him, they believe the man believes the gospel is more precious than his life. So so here's what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters. Difficulties and challenges in your life may be God's design to demonstrate that Jesus is more precious than your health and your safety and your comfort and your will. When you choose to sacrifice for someone else and you point to Jesus as the reason behind your sacrifice, you present a powerful apologetic for the truth of Christianity. So we share the good news of Jesus sacrificially, but we also do so warmly. Here's Paul under house arrest, and look at verse 30. I love this. He welcomed all who visited him. Why? Because the gospel is a message of welcome. That the Holy God welcomes sinners into his presence through the sacrifice of his son. When we welcome people into our homes and into our lives, we picture the gospel. Hospitality is the gospel in action. What plans do you have to welcome someone into your life? I mean, I don't know what that might look like for you. Maybe there's a person without any family who sits at home alone on the weekends and all they need is someone to invite them to their house. They would love to say yes. Maybe it's a coworker whose spouse has passed away and so they're in the midst of a difficult season and they just need to be welcomed into someone's life. Consider how you can show the warm, welcoming love of Jesus to someone. You know, normally a message about an invading king is a threat. But the message of the king who invaded earth is a message of peace and kindness. And so let's spread his message of peace and kindness with acts of kindness and welcome. Our mission is to share the good news of Jesus sacrificially, warmly, and confidently. So every time there's an election, which seems to be constantly some sort of election, it it just reminds me how politics is primarily motivated by fear. Like literally, the slogan for every candidate could be, if the other candidate wins, he'll destroy the city state, country, world, planet, universe, like you'll destroy everything. So beware of him or her. Listen, as Christians, we should never be anxious or fearful about who's in power. Because we know who will be in power. We know there's only one person defeated death, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, and awaits to return and restore all things. And so this is the reality that the book begins with Jesus rising from the dead 
and then saying, and now I'm giving you a mission. So it begins with that, and so this is why the so two of the final words in the book of Acts are boldness and unhindered. It's like this is the message that we're left with. Live boldly because the gospel is unhindered. The one who gave it to you rose from the dead and is coming back. Live with boldness because nothing he tells you to do will be hindered. I want you to consider what Paul has seen in the 30 years previous to this. Jesus took 11 frightened men and gave them a mission to spread his good news of victory. They start to tell people in Jerusalem, a small city near the eastern edge of the Roman Empire, in three decades, their message radiated from there to the very corners of the Roman Empire. And now the leading ambassador of Christianity is in Rome, waiting to have an audience with Caesar, where he will testify about Jesus and his resurrection before the entire imperial court. And since then, Christianity has not slowed down. It continues to spread to new places and new people because we have the same mission as the first Christians and we share the same message with confidence. Why? Because we know our risen king, his purposes will not be hindered. I want you to turn to Revelation 7. Revelation, the final book of the New Testament. Chapter 7. So in this series of sermons the last four weeks about our message and our mission, we began with the first chapter in Acts, right? This command from our King Jesus to be his witnesses starting in Jerusalem and not stopping until the message of victory has reached the ends of the earth. Today's sermon from the final chapter of Acts doesn't wrap up the story. Instead, you could almost say that we find the gospel in Rome and the words to be continued at the end of the book of Acts. But we find the the conclusion here in Revelation 7. Look at verse 9. John in his vision says this, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Whether Jesus calls us to go to a new city, a new country, or simply brings a new person into our path, Let's be faithful, brothers and sisters, to share the good news of Jesus Christ until the day where we gather around his throne with our brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship him. We pray with me? Father, help us to be faithful. There's a lot on our plates And we are busy with so many different things that sometimes we forget what you have told us to do. You've given us this mission to share the news of a king who offers peace and joy and welcome and belonging to a people that is lost and broken and wandering and sad and in despair. 
in the houses next to our homes, in the cubicles near our offices, in the playgrounds, in the parks, in the restaurants, in the stores that we walk in and out throughout the week. There are so many people lost, like sheep without a shepherd. And we have been given this news which changes lives and transforms people. And yet we struggle to live with boldness. And so God, give us a boldness to sacrifice anything for the sake of the gospel, to live with a generosity and a warmness and a welcome that commends the gospel. Use us, we ask, to usher people into your kingdom, to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Help them to see his glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.